1: no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy and Jay Brunberg.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode, a special episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Aberneth, your host, and tonight Jay's not going to be with us because we have a special guest. Our special guest tonight is an electrical engineer all the way from New York City. Imagine that. Going to be on our show tonight and I'm excited because we're going to look at the inside world of electrical engineering now you know i do a lot of code i do a lot of interaction with engineers all over the country and i've talked to this gentleman quite a few times we had some conversations back and forth on different social medias and so it's excited to have him on to the show to kind of dig a little bit into his world so without further ado let's introduce him i'd like to introduce kyle mckenzie all the way from new york kyle thanks for joining me on electrician live tonight
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Paul. Um, I'm re- really excited to be here. Uh, I listen to your to your show all the time, and you've h- helped me out of quite a number of jams, you know. So cool. you definitely helped me uh, um, with some co- with various code questions that I've had, and um, it's been great. So awesome. uh, as as you were saying, I'm an electrical engineer out of New York City. I work for Polisi Consulting Engineers, and we design mechanical, electrical. Plumbing, fire protection, um, and fire alarm systems for commercial and residential buildings in New York City. Um,
0: so, you pretty much we- cover the whole gamut there. You, you cover everything uh, pretty much that your firm will have somebody in there covers. You now, do you do everything, or do you, is your focus mainly electrical or just a fire alarm? Or where's your main, your main focus?
2: i run the electrical and the fire depart- fire alarm, uh, department of our firm, but, okay. um, I also run a lot of multidisciplinary projects where I'm involved in making uh, high level decisions on the, uh, mechanical fire protection and plumbing design end as well.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So again, I interrupt you. Tell me, go on and tell us, so uh, you will get, I guess you're going to get a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do there. So continue on.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. So. Um, our firm's been around for, uh, about, about 40, 40 years now. Um, the company president, Thomas Polisi is th- the son of the former company president, Thomas Polisi, you know, so, <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> so, um, and I've been, I've been with the company for 13 years now. And before that I actually worked, uh, as an HVAC tech for two and a half years and for an electrical contractor for a year. So while, while I was in college, you know, I got my feet wet in the business by um, lug, lugging around tools for an electrician and then um, doing a lot of uh, HVAC controls and um, troubleshooting for a mechanical contractor. Um, most okay so i don't get
0: to rag i won't rag you too bad we'll, we'll just say you got your you got your hands dirty a little bit before you went into the the engineering field for all those electricians out there just listening saying all right you've got an electrical engineer on the show tonight but did he get his hands dirty yes he did okay so he did a little dirty work you know just like all us electricians and whatnot so good to hear that okay so decided to going into the engineering field, so, all right, keep going.
2: It's throwing, a bu- throwing a button down and uh, and trade, <laughs> you know, and, and tra- trade away the tool belt, right? <laughs> That's right.
0: Now, you see the difference? Now, here I'm in a t-shirt and he's in a nice button shirt, so again, you know, engineers, just us, us code guys, these, these trench electricians, all right? Okay, sorry.
2: No, it's all right, all right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wanted to get on the show and talk about a little bit about what ele- electrical engineers do i think it would probably be helpful for sure. uh the all the electrical contractors to, li- to who listen to the show to know um what aspects of the business that they're they're not involved in that are in the design and before uh before the plans and specs come out and and they have to bid on them and actually build what what crazy stuff that we show on paper right yeah. so so, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. You know, most of the electricians out here, you know, we work a lot with the drawings. Uh, we have to look at the, you know, the drawings and, and work hand in hand with the engineers and designers, and sometimes there's friction. Sometimes there's, you know, things that the electricians, which, which may be very heavily in code, and the engineer has to weigh other things, other design, other engineering standards, uh, many of which can be voluntary standards versus some things that are required standards, like the NEC, adoption required. Some things, like from my world, ASTMs are totally voluntary, although we conform to them. Um, All these different things that all have to work together. And I think sometimes electricians take take for granted. We get a set of drawings and we just go out there and we start doing it. We have no idea sometimes the things that go on in the background to get us these drawings. So I've got a number of questions that we're going to talk to you about and let you kind of elaborate, kind of give us that insight of all of us electricians out there on the show that have tuned in who really want to know what it's like on the inner workings of design, the engineering, what you have to go through. So I'm going to hit you with some questions. Are you are you ready?
2: To... I'm, re- I'm ready. Uh, okay. Fire them off.
0: Okay. So the first question that we have is, what is the process for creation of a set of engineer plans. I mean, kind of walk us through the process. I know that i got a building. I want a building built. Right. I'm coming to your engineering firm and I'm like, you know, I want it built. I want I want all of the systems to be there so that the trades know what to do. Kind of walk me through this process of what we do first off. Many sure. people haven't dealt with that before. You know, electricians get the plans. They're not sure with how it would start, you know, as a, with a, a, you know, like a some developer or somebody comes to you and says, okay, I need some drawings? How does this process go?
2: So for an electrical contractor, they already have the plans in front of them when they're bidding the project. But for us, we what we're given is from the developer or from the architectural firm we're doing work with, we'll get uh, the scope of what the idea of the building is. You know, Sometimes there won't even be a architectural plan yet of what is being built and they'll just be ideas of, of what this project will be. And so we'll have to come up with a proposal and we'll bid against usually multiple other other engineering firms. That's um, interesting.
0: So they don't already know the engineering firm? I mean, I didn't, that's something I didn't know in your case of a bigger firm. Um, is it others could be bidding to get the engineering work?
2: That's correct, right. So uh, we'll we'll typically bid against um, sometimes three or four other engineering firms to be able to put together uh, a set of engineering plans. And Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that scope of what we're doing isn't isn't clearly defined, right? So um, sometimes we'll be given a scope document and we'll build our proposal, our contract proposal based on that scope document, but sometimes we don't have that, and we're actually, we're, we're actually working with the client to develop that scope. And for all we know, that scope may be very different than um, the other engineering, other engineering firms bidding the project. Items such as uh, number of design meetings the engineer will attend. Will the engineer provide bid assist services dur- during the uh, contractor bidding phase? Will the engineer provide construction administration services while the job is being built, what level of construction administration services being provided. There's projects where uh, we'll review shop drawings and answer RFIs, and then there's there's projects where uh, we'll, we'll have a team on site once a week we're writing field visit reports. We're attending all the constru- – we're attending um, owners, architects, and contra- contractors meetings, what we call in New York City as OAC meetings, and our level of CA is uh, much higher than the previous type of project. Um, so, let-
0: so, so, the, so, so, so the electricians and everybody, they, they hear different terms like RFI, request for information. Right. So it's not just like calling Johnny and say, hey, can I get some more? It's, it's a very detailed trail. I mean, you have to have this documentation, right? So, you anything that you don't understand or you need more information, you have to request an RFI to get that information. Otherwise, you don't know if, if you're designing right to the intent that they want, and that could come back and bite you in the butt later, right?
2: Right, right. And and so part of part of the back and forth between the engineer and the electrician in that aspect, and the RFI and shop drawing aspect, is that. our our clients are usually different usually my client would be the architect or the developer while the electrician's client is the general contractor or the cm in in a standard uh design build design bid build type of um construction agreement so because of that there has to be this correct flow of information because we it's 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 not only us making the decisions it's the developer, the architect, so, right. so that there is this paper trail that everyone could look at and um, have it as the whole backstory.
0: All, right. All documentation, document, 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 everything, okay? Right. And just for us contractors out there, those that are in contracting, the documentation makes sure that we get paid.
2: <laughs> we want
0: to make sure that when we do something that we can track it somewhere that says we needed to do this, Okay. We know the engineers will pay for it. That's not a problem, right? So we just want to get it done, right? Okay.
2: Well, that's that's part of the RFI process. Usually, when usually when change orders submitted and and a lot of the times for our construction administration phase, we'll review contractors' change orders and usually the and sometimes the RFI is included directly in the change order. That's a smart thing to do because it, that that R that change order will have the RFI built into it that says, "Hey, you told me to do this." This is, this is above and beyond the, the scope of the project, and it says right here in this RFI response that it needs to be done or that you wanted it to be done.
0: Okay. So is, I noticed something we they have here. It says something if a uh, leased space. Is, is how, when, when it comes to the design, whether or not it has to do with, an, you know, or whoever comes to the, your firm to, in order to get something to design. If the, if the space is being designed for the owner, or is it sometimes being designed for a future tenant that's going to go in a space that the owner has it? I mean, how, would you, how does the engineering deal with that? I know we're at early in that process, but I know that if I was a developer and I had a building and then I had a tenant, would the tenant come straight to you or would the owner come straight to your firm for design? Well, because actually, you're going to build it, design it for what the tenant would want.
2: Actually, we've done it three different ways, right? We've we've been the engineer of, engineer of record for the the building owner, who has um, provided, who's given provisions to the tenant for what they would need. So maybe the tenant's requesting. Um, based on their load calculations, 400 amps at 208 full three phase, right? And mm-hmm. so, uh, and presently, the infrastructure serving that space is only 200 amps at two, 208 full three phase. So we'll provide the design to, uh, to increase the power supply to that space, right? But, or we've worked for owners who've built out spaces for their tenants and we've done, We've done the, the soup to nuts design where we've, we've done the full branch circuitry, lighting controls, fire alarm system, as I was saying before, mechanical plumbing sprinkler for that space. And then the third way we've worked is um, where the tenant has hired us to help them design the space that they're going to build out. And under all three options, uh, to your point, part of our, our job Usually, if we're brought in early enough, and it's smart for it's smart for all parties to bring us in early enough, is for us to review the lease because there's usually certain aspects of the lease that ha- that affect um, that affect the design. There's usually, uh, at least here in New York City, there's often a um, watts per square foot requirement based on the square footage of the space mm-hmm. where where the the building owner will say will indicate in the lease that we only provide six watts per square foot t- uh, to this to this lease space. If if through your tenants design calculations, which you submit to the owner's engineer that mm-hmm. indicate you exceed that amount, then you gonna have to then you may have to pay extra to right. That'd be um, on you.
0: That'd be, that'd be on, on you. be on the tenant. So, and I've seen it also, where the owner will do a design, which is like a box design, and then they allow each tenant will get their own design firm to design their space. So you could have a bunch of hands in this process, you know, as for as engineering. I mean, you might just do the core as an engineering firm, and and when somebody tenant leases it out, long term lease, let's say, they might have some a different engineering firm that might do the actual tenant space
2: definitely we so yeah. for a lot of hotels and for a lot of multifamily pro- uh, properties that we design um we'll we'll design just like we're saying it's called white white box retail where yeah. uh the, the space is set up so that it's it's just a, a space that would could could receive a certificate of occupancy the space of the bathroom the space is some lighting but um the the tenant would have to go into that space and fully uh, renovate that space so it accommodates their needs.
0: Absolutely. And so, and during the process, I think you said, so also, let me guess, let me correct me now, is that in the process of creating these drawings, you've got the proposals and you've got the scopes, you're dealing with other things like surveys uh, that might need to take place. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the
2: weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Got architectural drawings that are somehow going to be kicked into this. You have Other trade, the mechanicals, the plumbings, the fire alarm things, that all had to be considered, and everybody's got to work together. So whether or not you're just doing, if you're doing the electrical, there's somebody probably at the same time working on a mechanical, working on it. And you know what? You can only get so much in a space. So you all have to work together in order to be able to make everything, you know, you don't just get all this stuff on a drawing by accident, right? Everything has its place.
2: Well, for for most of the buildings that we design, to your point, actually, um, the mechanical engineer from our team would would basically go first because the system they select and the air conditioning requirements that to support the building highly influence the the electrical design of our systems. So, um, if a system is has a a chiller plant on a a roof versus uh, an office building with packaged air air conditioning systems on every floor, our electrical distribution is going to be very, very different. And the way that we set up our load calculations is going to be very, very different.
0: Absolutely. All right, good. All those things have to be taken into consideration in design. So again, all you electricians out there who like to give the engineers a little bit of crap Come on now, cut them a little slack. There's a lot of <laughs> stuff that goes into this, all right? So let's go on to the next question. And the next question for you, uh, Kyle, is, besides from codes and standards, what influences your design? Okay, Things that you have to think about. What are some sure, of those things?
2: Sure, sure. Um, so client design requirements, Off, we do a lot of work for universities that have their own design standards. Um, uh-huh. One of the big things we see is separate neutrals and uh, K-rated transformers is a freaking mm-hmm. request. Actually- They uh, recently- don't like
0: them harmonics, right? They all <laughs> no. freak out about the harmonics. Give me K-factor transformers. Go on, give me, don't be sharing no neutrals in this building. I want all, okay. Sorry, I was, shoot. hold on, let me get off that. Let me get off that little, that little perch I was on. Boom, okay, <laughs> go ahead, pick it up.
2: So on a recent project I was working on, um, I did an office fit out for university, for that faculty, and the school's electrical shop requires um, separate neutrals for each circuit. And so we designed the system for separate neutrals for each circuit. Problem is that the school's furniture shop bought uh, what's called a two plus two wiring configuration. So with a two plus two wiring configuration, you have, um, if you have a, a workstation, it, that for a furniture partition system that has uh, four receptacles, two of them share one neutral, and two of them share another neutral. So oh, do I, they come?
0: Do they come whipped already? They're already designed that way. You buy them in a certain
2: way. Yeah, that's correct. They, they come. They come whipped already. Oops.
0: Hold on. I got a button for. I got a button for that one. Hold on.
1: That's
0: that's. They didn't do. It. Somebody didn't do it. Some thinking there. All right.
2: Right. Right, right. All right. Well, they should have submitted the shop drawing probably to us to to review right. and say, hey, what what's going on here? So I actually met the head of the electrical shop on site uh, to discuss it with him, and I showed him the wires to the furniture system, and he said, well, why can't we just t- why can't we just tie the branch circuit neutrals together and then uh, and Let's then just connect put a junction to the- box.
0: Let's just put a junction <laughs> box there. And we'll just we'll look the other way. We got we'll, hey, bring your separate neutrals all the way up to that point and then we'll do what we do and nobody'll know.
2: Yeah. So so what I said to him was, yeah, we, we could do that, but we'll have to upsize the number 12s with 1-1 uh, one, one hot.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure he's like, "Okay, we'll just we'll just get new equipment."
2: <laughs> well what they did was they um they replaced the harnesses within within the furniture so uh okay. the, the the system had the had the uh, capability to have um a separate neutral option so they were able to um, okay.
0: so they lucked out then. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> they lucked out uh, um other things that uh, influence the decisions we make are uh, who the client is, whether it's the architect, developer, um, a university facilities team. So, uh, for for the architect, usually their biggest concern is spaces and aesthetics. And um, our team really likes working directly with uh, design architects who ha- have you know have have an eye for for aesthetics, and um, we kind of live in their world and. Um, so every, every piece of mechanical equipment, every panel board, we work very closely with them to find, uh, the most aesthetic solution and usually the biggest space saving solution because, um... They want, they want their spaces, the classroom, the office, to be right. front the, and center. Uh, the,
0: the the utility stuff goes in a small place. They, they, that doesn't make them any money, you know. They need, you know <laughs> so they stick all of our stuff in the smallest. Always worried about work and clearance because they throw them in the smallest rooms. But, Kyle, another thing I would think is in this, you, you do a lot of these universities and things like that, that are constantly either expanding, future-proofing themselves, thinking about potential I mean, usually it's all funded in different phases depending on, you know, so you've got to worry about not doing something in the design that leaves you hanging as the phasing out. So don't you have to think about all these phasing of, of the of the projects and and kind of future proofing it in a sense by your design? Because you just you know, you know that it's an ever changing atmosphere when it comes to things like universities and all this kind of stuff. So is that stuff you have to consider? I mean, you have to take phasing and future-proofing it, and all this kind of stuff into consideration.
2: Definitely, actually, several of our uh, of our projects are usually phased and usually include design phasing. On one of the recent projects I worked on, uh, I worked on an office fit out where um, where the where where the electrical closet was is located was located. They're building bathrooms in that area. Problem is that. That that electrical closet serves an MDF that was intended to remain and stay up and running. So what we had to do was there was a storage a storage closet nearby, and we had to build we had to build uh, that storage room into an electrical closet, and we had to swing over the circuits um, to accommodate the MDF, and that that was all included included in the design.
0: Okay, so you had to think about it. So, the, so also, you know, I kind of noticed from some notes here. Um, you say current events. Now, how, how do current events, things that influence your design? I know we're in a we're in a pandemic right now, and you're in New York. The uh, pandemic. <laughs> okay, epicenter.
2: <laughs> epicenter. Well, at one point it
0: was. Um, and so, all these things affect you know uh, you know different. Things that are going on in your design—do those influence? They have some type of influence on your design.
2: Sure, sure. Actually, uh, a lot of the jobs that we've been in the des- in design for, we've gotten several. We've gotten requests from most of our clients to look into um, into virus mitigation, and so oh. there's there's several things you could do to the to your air handling systems, or add for you could add UV. Um, UV fixtures. They're not really, they're yeah. not lights. They're, it's yeah, called they kill UV the germs
0: already, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
2: And, and we've also modified lighting controls so that, um, and so that we've replaced in areas that didn't need to meet energy code, we were repla- just, we've replaced switches with motion sensors, um, right. just so there's less, less contact. Um, uh, right. also, right. also, uh, couple months ago a big storm blew in and we do a lot of residential work so uh we re- we reached out to a lot of um a lot of our old residential contacts and brought up uh having standby generators right because okay, yeah. you know a lot a lot of people lost power in this in this uh east AIS that uh, blew through the northeast and um especially where i'm where i'm at uh there are several several uh areas that were that were down for for over a week so wow
0: yeah and then of course with insurances insurance companies yeah they they have demands they have requirements they want to be involved they how do they impact maybe insurance companies that do do you engineer do you get involved with the insurance companies
2: so it's more more that our cl- our cl- uh, our clientele will reach back out to uh, reach out to us when there is issues through the insurer. So okay. what happens a lot with uh, multifamily, especially buildings in New York City that have been that were built 60, 70 years ago. Uh, okay, um, Old. Yeah. So they have. So all, all the apartments have Federal Pacific stab lock breakers, and they, you know, so you know, Paul, they call them the no trips, right? Because <laughs> they not they don't trip.
0: Okay, well, I'm not going to go into my discussion. They're not always as bad as they seem. (laughs) But, you know, anyway, so, yeah. So, I mean, you have some old infrastructure that's, you know, you just can't go in and redesign and leave old stuff there. And, you know, most jurisdictions aren't going to allow it. And again, my understanding in New York, sometimes the approval process on certain things in construction is very slow because of the volume. You yeah, know, of getting sure. approval and people will do things and they can't wait and they start going on and, you know, inspecting things or things get done without inspection just because, you know, they don't have the time to wait. And again, I don't know if that's just what I've heard, but, you know, you know, sometimes, again, so insurance, they always want to be involved in everything, right? And it's usually, like you said, from the owner's perspective, not so much, I guess, from the engineer. It's that the owner will reach out and say, hey, I got insurances are having some issues they want to you know they want to know something from an engineering side i guess
2: right well well uh just recently uh, um an owner of a multifamily apartment building reached out to me about and his insurance company dropped his insurance because um of the presence of federal pacific stablock breakers within mm-hmm. each within each of the apartments so um they had an electrical contractor that gave them a very high price for replacing the panel boards in their entirety. In their entirety, and so what we did was we wrote um, a letter to, to the apartment owner, which they gave to their insurer, stating that instead they could use um, they could use listed replacement breakers mm-hmm. such as K- Connecticut electric makes sure um listed stab lock replacement breakers uh which would we le- which would be a significantly lower cost
0: yeah so there's a breaking point on that for the listeners out there so when it comes to an entire panel obviously it's cheaper per breaker for an entire panel but when you're talking smaller and these are probably not really big panels you actually come out better replacing the overcurrent devices and at the end of the day stablock the design is still being utilized in Canada it's still something that's produced it's just not produced down here in the states so the design was a little you know a little wonky but you can get listed breakers uh, that are rated to be replacements and ultimately if you start pricing it out it probably ends up being cheaper if you just replace the breakers and again they are listed and they are evaluated so they should be okay
2: right Right. Sure.
0: So it's good alternative uh, do that. And then there's another alternative uh, out there that, that some people don't know about and that is actually taking the panel board which is the guts pulling it out and you can get replacement panel boards that the guts that are evaluated to go inside of it and I'm not going to mention the company that makes them uh, but I stumped for them years ago as they're around the country for their program. They can go in the middle of it and then you can use their breakers and again that is another option to look at it as well but it's so much easier to just pull a breaker off and put a breaker on. It's so easy to have to take the guts out of the thing. So it's probably the best, route. okay. Um, so with that said, I know that electricians all the time go, all right, all right, all right. So I've got projects and I need a question answered. How come I can't get an engineer on the job site when I want it, when I need it? Why can't they just come down here? And I'm gonna tell you a, a, a quick story as a head of an electrical inspections division and engineering division for a large municipality in the city of Richmond. Well, I gave it away. It was the city of Richmond, and I was the head of the engineering department for plan review and everything like that, and we never got an engineer to go out to a job site. They would never meet me on a job site. So my next question to you, Kyle, is why can't I get an engineer on site, tell me. I don't tell me. You just don't want to get your feet dirty. Tell me how come I can't get you on site?
2: Well, just I just got my shoes polished, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, unlike it's good a reason as any, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> unlike uh, unlike construction contracts, engineering contracts typically include a limited amount of construction administration. So, for instance, site visits maybe may be on time card for construction administration or there may be a set quantity included in um, the engineer's cost structure and so and the reason that is is because it's, it's different for an electrical contractor they have to be the electrician has to be on site anyways because they have to right. they have to build out the project right.
0: we're but, constantly on, we're constantly on site yeah
2: right but for for the engineer once once they deliver their documentation, um, it would be additional work for them to come back down to review uh, some sort of construction uh, issue in the field. So, okay.
0: so so basically, they you know let me translate for you, electricians out there. They already been paid it's so to have them come out on site multiple times to solve your issue which is what you're getting paid to do it's it's not fair to them now with that said Kyle if i'm an if i'm an electrical guy and i run into conflict i run into something that is that i believe needs to be changed
1: or it's still compl-
0: client, but it might be adverse to something that's in your design, right. I then can come to you or come to the engineering firm. And I think a lot of electricians are scared to do that. But again, if it's something, um, you know, I, I'll use an example. Let's say Kyle spec'd out to ground rods uh, for aught. And, you know, and I'm sitting there going, well, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm just saying they don't have a clamp for that. I'm going to have to cad weld. It's not typically what I want to do. I want to run six gauge because 250.66A says I can do it. But Kyle spec'd out four-aught copper to that ground rod uh, or multiple ground rods um, or their triad that they love. Uh, And I do that. And then I go, why does it have to be larger than a six? And so I come to you when the code says six again, and, and we know that you can't put 10 pounds in a five, 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag. So right. I come to you and I say, Kyle, I want to change this. I, I would, I, we'd like to run six. Now, from a contractor and an owner standpoint, I probably bid the job with it four odds. So I'm going to probably, as an owner, I probably go, well, give me some of my money back because there's a difference in price between four aught and six, but nobody discusses that. All I'm going is to Kyle, the engineer, and say, Hey I want to change this to six. What does the engineer do? And that's just an example but what does the engineer does get involved then in, even it's after the fact deal, but now I'm requesting you to change something or making a request. How do y'all handle that
2: so i I think that if if we had done something that was above and beyond code and there wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't a a good reason for it so in 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 your example of that was an
0: extreme uh, example, by the way, but...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but see. that might be driven... So, so something strange like that might be driven by um, the campus IT director. They might not fully understand grounding, and they might say, well, we want, we want all these... Bigger's better. Going, yeah, bigger's better, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, well, in, in, in all fairness, the electrician, in that respect, I should have said to the campus IT director, well you know, I I don't, I don't see why we're doing this. You're, you're, you're going to be spending extra for something that you don't need. But if, so, so what, so what I would do is if, if that was, if that was the case, I'd let the electrician know that. But if that wasn't the case then, and what they wanted to do met code. um, I'm, I personally have, there's no reason for, for, for me to, to say, just because I showed this on on paper you had to do that if if they're going to install something that meets code and and what I showed was above and beyond code and they're willing to get give the own, ownership or credit for doing that then then they then I completely agree with that
0: okay so that's a good good way for all you listening out there not all engineers are very rigid okay i deal with a lot all over the country some are rigid some are not Fact of the matter is code is code. Now, if they want to go above and beyond code, they have the right to do that. They're the engineering design. For example, they can even change the ampacity that a conductor can carry based on their engineering design and whether using something like a Near McGrath, which nobody calculates anymore. But uh, <laughs> I spent a whole year teaching people Near McGrath calculations to the point where I said, dude, why you do this? Just choose a code. The code is very conservative. But at the end of the day, it protects everybody involved. The engineer, us. So anytime somebody wants to step above and beyond code, sometimes it can be okay. Sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes it goes too far. And grounding and bonding is a great example where people can go too far above code. Another example would be voltage drop. So voltage drop's not a requirement in the code. It's good engineering design, but it's not a requirement unless you're doing fire pumps or something like or a sensitive electronic equipment. Other than that, voltage drop is a recommendation. And if if Kyle's design is designing in for voltage drop, you're going you're to have to follow it. And we're hoping that designing them, the design firm also picks up on the fact that you're going to have to increase the equipment ground proportional to the size of the ungrounded conductors. And right. and I catch that from time to time in some of the reviews that I do. But again, that's the kind of stuff that Kyle and them have to look at, and you have to install it. So again. Kyle, would you say it's good to have communication between, I mean, they don't want to take up, they don't want to take up all of your time, obviously saying, well, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? We can just do the work. But in some of those things, do you welcome people, uh, you know, bring in some uh, potential questions to you or something like that?
2: You know, I, I think that, I think that it's really important that um, electricians and electrical engineers get on the same page um, over here in the Northeast a lot of the projects we design are design bid build and that contract model has creates sort of a contentious relationship between the construction and the design team. And this this home whole work from home atmosphere really hasn't uh really hasn't helped in that process because even construction meetings we're now doing remotely. So yeah. really the only time uh, the electricians get to interface with us is when when problems arise or there's a meeting on an RFI or a meeting on a change order or something of that something of a contentious nature, and it almost fosters like a um, us us versus them right. um, relationship. So uh, the best advice I could really give to electrical engineers is to to go out of your way to go out of your way and uh, meet an electrical contractor on site Um, just a a quick a quick story about how um, simply going down to the site could um, foster a relationship with an electrician earlier this year i designed i provided design for the renovation of a church's retreat house Um, our design included running new service entrance conductors from an existing property line box and providing a new service disconnecting means to uh refeed the existing main main distribution boards um during our site visit we weren't able to find the property line box so we released schematic design and it turned out the church had this electrical contractor that they've been doing work with for 20 years so he got a hold of our drawings and he said oh i don't want to do this like this i want to do it completely differently i want to i want to design
0: it i want to design it (laughs)
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So I want to design this thing. You know, I want this thing to be um, my design, the way I, w- I want it to run. And so, so that was frustrating begin with. And then his cost for running uh, the engine conductors was uh, it was exorbitant to say the least. Extremely exorbitant. That's so, why I
0: to do it my way.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so it didn't. It didn't make the the cost didn't make didn't didn't make sense so i got on the i got on the on the phone with the guy and he was this big tough italian guy and so he says to me i'm busy right now babe but you could call me between five and seven a.m. Tom- tomorrow morning. So, so I called him back at eleven thirty and told him I was up at four thirty, but I was doing uh, doing other things, so I couldn't <laughs> talk to him. Um, but I made the offer to meet the guy on site and, and to walk through the infrastructure with him and uh, to look at the run for the service entrance conductors. Um, now, please note that this was this was June in New York and. Um, I hadn't left my house in like in two and a half years. So this would be two and a half months, two and a half years would be really long. Uh, so uh-huh. this was the first time I visited um, any job sites. And I've been locked down and really hadn't seen too many people. So uh, so I was going out of my way to say the least. you sure. so well, I- you're
0: just lucky he didn't have a bucket of cement and some boots there. I mean, again, <laughs> it is New York, I'm just
2: saying. Down by the... You know, exactly. Down by the
0: river. river, river.
2: <laughs> right, so. Exactly, exactly. So when I met him on site, I discussed my infrastructure design with him, and he completely agreed that it was the correct design. Then we opened the door to where uh, to the exterior of the building where the property line box was. And I, I looked down, and I say down because I looked down, and I knew exactly why he was uh, charging an exorbitant price for running the Five, uh, running five sets of service center conductors only 100 feet. It was because it was a 60 degree wooded hill. Um, it was it was a 60 degree drop, and we both uh, we both had a, had a good chuckle, and we spent the next hour discussing the product project, trading war stories, and you know laughing about this crazy industry. So um, the rest of the project has been smooth has been smooth sailing. And
0: sometimes. That's all it takes. I tell you what, if I could give any tip to a project manager on the big projects, get to know your design engineers because you're going to run into things where you're going. I don't think, Kyle, you've done probably done any job where you've originally give the plans and never had to talk to anybody else after that. Right, okay? right, there's, exactly. There's going to be at some point, and when I used to do fairly decent-sized jobs in – uh, I would uh, basically would have a cup of coffee with the, with the design people or people I know. I'd say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee or do something and just kind of say, hey, I want to be able to reach out to you. I'm here. You know, can you and foster a relationship because you're going to run into it? It's so much better to get along than to be adversarial. It, it, it just doesn't work in the flow of getting projects done. And I know sometimes electricians want to go at it, but you got to think about all the things that's in their design. And then all the things that you have to do and realize that there's going to be some issues where you got to find a way to work together definitely in those aspects of it okay um let me go on to another question here um so do the engineering documents need to indicate all codes and standard aspects of an electrical installation does it need to end everything i, I do get this question a lot because me being in and yeah. in cable industry and also doing this code thing that i do um, I deal a lot with design people in specifications and projects and product um, cut sheets, product sheets that are going to have the various types of standards and codes and all things. So, again, so do, do the engineering documents need to indicate all of the codes and standard aspects of an electrical installation? Is that what you're, do you have to list them all?
2: Yeah, I guess that's. I guess that's more of a question for for you and to uh, the industry, right? So you know, it, it's it's almost like say we start with um, securing and supporting cable securing and supporting. So th- there, there's no argument there that an electrical contractor would be responsible, that the design documents wouldn't have to specifically state that you have to secure or support a cable uh, six feet, four and a half feet, 12 inches from a box, eight inches from uh, what the nail-in type box, whatever it may, may
0: be. Right, so I guess the other thing is too that I do see a lot of drawings where I've had a lot of heartburn by some engine, some plan reviewers who will reject an engineering drawing because the engineer didn't put everything. Sometimes he'll put something typical or I've had a situation where they did a multi-family building. They did one room, one, one unit and all of them were identical. And to save time, he did this one. And he wrote typical for all the units, but didn't put all the detail on every one of them. And then the plans examiner just had a total hissy fit stomping his feet, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, Again, from a design, you know, from a plan review standpoint, engineer stamped it. He did the one unit. The unit is typical to every unit in there. I didn't have a problem with it. I put my red line pin on it, notes, and saying all units are to be typical to this unit and, you know, that type of thing. And against, you know, anybody that knows me, I would put some little surly little comment on there about <laughs> any, any, de- any deviation from the typical layout would be immediate rejection. And, you know, that type of thing, because that's the, if that's how you want to do it, then I'm going to do it this way. But I guess the point I'm making is, you're right. Do How much detail do you really need on it? Um, I think you do need to call out things that have to be, obviously, GFCI. I think you have to call out things that have to be AFCI. I think you have to, that because of location, you know, having to do with either on the branch circuit for AFCIs or GFCI being more location-based, all those things are critical, but you don't really put on things like the, the box sizing and fill right. and all this. I mean, that's what the electrician needs to do. They, they don't need to put that kind of level of detail on the drawing for you. You should already know how to do all that. Now, one pet peeve I always had is the grounding scheme. I did not like when engineers would put the grounding scheme and they would just say to the GEC, to the ground, you know, G, to it. the GES <laughs> and, and all this, you know, and, and and they don't even really know what grounding systems in this building drove me crazy. Either you know it's a concrete case electrode, or you're gonna make me drive ground rods, or it's gonna be a water pipe. Ground. You gotta know. And the engineers I used to talk to used to say, no, I really don't know. It's too early on in the stage. I don't know what type of electrode they are gonna have. I'm like, well, you gotta tell me something because I gotta size it. But again, a good electrician can size it. So if an engineer leaves it vague, but does say you have to have a grounding electrode system, it allows me to actually work with that and say, well, I've determined that it is a concrete encased electrode or that it is whatever. But if I've had engineers throw everything on the drawing, they'll draw it over to a water pipe, then they'll draw it over to ground lines, then they're drawing over. They're just trying to catch everything. And none of these things are present on the job. So- how how do y'all do your grounding like that? By by the way, do you just do you actually know the grounding system? What it's going to be?
2: Yeah, well, like when we do a new building, we'll actually show a grounding electrode system. But it's uh, I've seen other engineers' drawings that sh- that just say to provide a, a grounding electrode system. So and stop. I guess that's, that's it. It's almost it's almost <laughs> it's almost unfair for the electrical contractor because when they when they're bidding a job, they don't expect to have to provide design services.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, and again, we're always sizing, you know, and trying to figure this stuff out. But again, it's much detail. So there's some engineers like Kyle and them that are very detailed and will give you what you need. And there's some that you, again, the electrician's going to have to do your thing. That's why I teach code so much. That's why I think electricians that get their license should not stop learning because there's something you're going to run into that you really need to know, whether it's grounding, bonding, calculating, Don't expect the engineers to do everything for you. It's engineering design. But I also know that when I went through, you know, did engineering school, and I don't know about you, Kyle, there was very little electrical code. And I don't know if they changed now, but back then, very little NEC. Very much dynamics and electrical system design, and but very little national electrical code.
2: Even the even the PE license only uh, only a small percentage of the questions. I think it was um fifteen percent or so, I f- I forgot I forgot exactly the percentage, but was on electrical code. The the PE power involved a, a lot more uh, utility infrastructure design and right. um, mo- motor systems and controls, and actually didn't didn't delve a lot into the electrical into the electrical building construction industry.
0: All right. Cool. So, again, so there's going to be a lot of detail, but it's not going to be everything on there. And I certainly wouldn't want them to try to put every single possible standard there is on a drawing. Now, usually on a drawing, there's a frontal sheet that has a lot of information, a lot of project detail, things like that. But, again, there's only so much. You need to know, electricians need to know the National Electrical Code. Okay, You need to know it. Um, And there's other standards, NFPA 110, there, there's other different standards that, that you need to be aware of as well. Just don't go through life blind, right? There's always something new to learn. And, you know, the engineers are constantly up to date with emergency systems, uh, the ASHRAE dealing with the lighting, and, and they have to worry about path of egress and getting out of a building and have to f- uh, photometrics and all these type of things that they're thinking about. So, you know what, if something doesn't make it to the drawing – Work with them, but again obviously there's you need to know the National electrical Code as a minimum safety standard as well, so it doesn't have to have everything on there
2: right um, right to, to make matters worse in, in new york in New York City, so we don't have our our plan review is only for um, thousand kVA and over electrical ser- electrical services, and and <laughs> yeah, and systems over a thousand kVA. Well, medium voltage also. So okay. when you when you do electrical work in New York City, you only need a P to, to stamp um, medium voltage designs and thousand kVA designs. And there is a very specific plan review process. But uh, for anything underneath that, you would the electrical contractor gets their permit and and fills out their own, their own information. And there's no, that's,
0: that's true. And and that's why people take the exams and stuff for electrical lightly. I, I think I remember this topic was, look, master electricians are people that can pull licenses in many states you get. For example, the state of Texas, master electric. Now you listen to people out there. Master electricians have the same, same ability to design a high rise building as an engineer here. It's like that in many states. In Texas, the master electrician could design the entire infrastructure of a high-rise building. I don't think they will. I don't think they'd want it. I certainly want no parts of it. But the way the Texas law is written, it's almost like equivalent to that rule. So, again, you get a lot of responsibility. And so I guess, Kyle, those size systems in New York – Electrical electrical contractors have a lot of responsibility. They they need to right. brush up. It's not just a matter of getting your license and thinking you can tackle the world. You got to keep learning.
2: Yeah. Most most, most certainly. Um, also, I, I see outside outside of New York City and a lot of municipalities, uh, fire sprinkler systems and fire alarm systems are usually contractor and vendor designed. Like the oh. the pipe pipe fitter will will design the sprinkler system and the fire alarm vendor. We'll design the fire alarm, and we'll do and we'll do like a, a a design assist kind of process.
0: I tell you what, if I was doing work like that, I'd, I'd much rather have Colin and design it, and not just install it. I, I don't want the headache of having the responsibility of that. I just want to put it in. That's I just right, design right. it, I'll put it in that time. <laughs> So let's see here, uh, Kyle, let's see uh, quickly with briefly on this one. It says, the engineer said they didn't design the lighting controls or device locations or the connection to the utility system or the conduit infrastructure for AV and IT. So what are we, what are we talking about here? Um,
2: so there's several different consultants that, uh, that define the electrician's scope of work. Okay. So there's, in addition to electrical engineers, on a standard on a on a large um, development project, you may have a lighting consultant, a AVIT consultant, uh, a theatrical consultant, a theatrical consultant, um, a civil a civil engineer, and so and all and the architect, of course all of these design professionals drive the um the scope of the electrical contractor so-, so
0: so the important part here is communication the electrical contractor needs to communicate with all these possible consultants the lighting people the design people where necessary definitely has to be involved overall in in, in meeting with everybody instead of somebody saying i ain't got this or this is not my responsibility. I didn't do this. Uh, ultimately, as a contractor, I just have to get it done. But there could be multiple consultants on this project.
2: Right, right. So, so it's it's not as easy as just building a relationship, as we were discussing before, the electrical engineer, because there may be questions on a lighting control system that wasn't that was designed by the lighting consultant, or they there may be on on a. Building that has several acres of land, the actual connect connection to the utility infra- infrastructure may be it may have been done by a civil engineer. So, so I could be
0: so as a contractor, I could be giving you the the general design engineer a bunch of crap, and re- ultimately you had you had nothing to do
2: absolutely nothing. with the lighting controls.
0: It's like an electrician gets upset because he goes, you know what the, you know what the engineer told me. He says I don't know nothing about that. Go talk to somebody else. He's passing the buck. He's not passing the buck. He didn't design it. Right. He might add something in his drawing that states that it's got to have this or that, but he didn't, it it wasn't under his design. So there's a lot of people you need to communicate with on a project. Now, again, obviously we're not talking one and two family dwellings and small. I mean, we're talking decent projects here, but uh, there is many people that have a hand in it, definitely. So, I guess when does an electrical contractor require that takes us to that step, Kyle, where we say, okay, when does electrical contractor require a professional engineer? When do we bridge it over where you really need to have a professional engineer doing the design work? Right. When do we get to that stage?
2: Well, there's uh, there's some areas of, of the National Electrical Code that require. That a professional engineer get involved, like if you're using Annex B duct bank calculations, or or if the utility changes um, the fault current, changes their equipment, and the fault current ratings change. So engineers are allowed to do um, uh, ser- series ratings of existing systems. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 it's some of this code driven
0: selective coordination in, selective in certain coordination. aspects where we have to worry about selective coordination, and you know there's ways to do that. With fuses, breakers, there's ways to do that with the engineer's equipment. Easiest way, me as a contractor, is give my product list to whoever I'm buying my equipment from and say, selectively coordinate this stuff for me. And they'll do it for you. Yeah. But if you're late in the game, you could get screwed. If you're in the backside of it and you already bought the equipment and you didn't do that, then you could be in some trouble. So, so there are times. So what about uh, any other type of things that are going to require uh steel drawings What's in new york in general so all of those that are over the thousand is yeah, that what it is
2: over Anything? a thousand kva over a thousand kva electrical services and, and medium voltage um need to be filed with the city of new york but there's also lighting controls in new york city uh ener- there needs to be an energy code filing that indicates lighting controls and okay. if if we're doing lighting controls which uh, we often do even though sometimes it's a lighting consultant but when, w- when we do the lighting controls design we'll have to sign off on the energy filing and okay. when we, all the fire alarm system designs that we do we sign off on the on the fire alarm application and then so out-
0: so today you know in the 2020 code and I don't know what code cycle y'all are on but the 2020 code.
2: 2008 codes, 2008 wow look at that. <laughs>
0: I don't even have a button for that. Still <laughs> in the 2008.
2: What's up, New York? <laughs>
0: All right. Anyway, so, man, COVID's affected y'all in more ways than one. <laughs> you know, still in 2008. <laughs> what up? So, but when you, when eventually y'all come into the the modern world, you're going right. to have the 2020 code and you're going to have to realize that now for lighting density, we can have, we have options and we can use uh, values for the energy code to determine right. our lighting loads versus doing, uh, you know. VA per square foot, there's a lot of options that are really going to take, really, to be honest with you, it's going to take engineers to look at that and, and, and do that. if that Because then that becomes building monitoring, energy monitoring systems, all those type of things that, while they may allow electrician to do that, not many that I know want to get involved in that. That's going to be something where you're going to have to bring in the engineers. You're going to have to bring in people, that's what they do, uh, to, to do things right. So, yeah, so fire alarm systems. How are fire alarm systems in in new york how are they how are they addressed
2: any any fire alarm system needs to be filed with the fire department okay
0: and so in doing that does that require an engineering seal
2: yeah yeah and and actually that's that's atypical for the other municipalities i work in so um other other municipalities i do i do Work basically up and down the eastern seaboard and and other municipalities i've seen actually uh the fire alarm design is very basic and the fire alarm vendor uh, signs off on on the uh fire alarm drawings but but new york city fire department is really specific they want even if even if all you're doing is um if you're doing a fire alarm system for uh four apartment multifamily which would then require a fire alarm system right they want they want an engineer to uh, put together a set of plans and to stamp and seal it oh,
0: okay all right. so you don't get to do everything you want to do contractors you just, some engineers they got to give them some work got to throw them a bone got to have them do something come on now right. take it all so so kyle i guess uh you know learned a, a lot about what you do and different things so kind of to, to kind of close out a little bit, uh, what do you want to tell the listeners out there? You know about engineering. I mean, what got you into? Relatively young man, still, you know, you know, doing obviously doing what you love to do. Um, we're getting you more and more, maybe involved in the in in the in the codes and in in uh, writing articles and, and being more involved in it. So, tell us why do you? What about electrical engineering? For I guess there's also people that might be listening that might be young enough that they I want to do that. What can you tell them out there about it you know and kind of wrap it up why you love what you do in, in, in electrical engineering, and you don't mind working with people like me electricians. so,
2: so I, I got into electrical engineering because of working for an electrical contractor and because of actually one of the things that that really uh, struck the chord with me and really made me say. I want to be an electrical engineer was my first uh electrical inspection from someone like you so you know i was um i was in, i was working on multi-family and um i was a helper lugging around tools and you know i was picking up i was learning what i could learn but uh one of one of the, one of the days, um, I was there with, I was on site with the journeyman and he said, all right, the, the electrical inspector's coming today. And I said to him, he is, could I, you know, would you mind if I hang out and just, uh, hang out for the day and see what he picks up? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, oh, this is wrong. That's wrong. Uh, <laughs> your grounds are too small. You know, like, uh, right. Red so, tag <laughs> failure. Write it up, write it up. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you were saying your, your GFIs aren't accessible, you know, all that type of stuff. And so, and and I got real into it. And, um, that's, and because of that, I declared my major, uh, for electrical engineering. Um, for the, for the electrical engineers who listen to this podcast, um, I definitely think one of the, the best things that you could do in your career is, uh, make friends with an electrical contractor. Um, so over the past uh, three, four years, I got very heavy into um, the code development process and the amendments for New York City. And, uh, um, one, and there was this electrical contractor, Barry Sachs from Cedar Electric, who's, uh, um, who's, re- who's been in the codes and standards process for a very long time in New York City. And... Um, We've really got into just talking turkey to each other, and you know now we like I'll, I'll talk to the guy twice a week, and we'll just we'll we'll talk code, and we'll talk about each other's issues, and um, we'll we'll solve each other's construction uh, electrical construction projects and um, problems, and uh, you know it's 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 been great. It's really it's really helped solidify my knowledge, and uh, because he'll present a problem to me, and then he'll present the way he's thinking about and that problem. And I might've had the same problem, but I never thought about it the way the way he thinks about it. So you know, hopefully having- I've
0: never, hopefully I've never been the arbitrator of any, any of those uh, debates or, or discussions. You have, you
2: have, you have, but uh, un- unknowingly, you unknowingly oh, have. Uh, there you good deal.
0: Well, so, good. So Colin, great to have you on the show. I'm glad you could join us again. Everybody listening out there, sorry, you know, Jay couldn't join us again. I had no room on here for, for his, you know, his, his image. His, you know, his ego's gotten really huge now that he's <laughs> this electrician live star. So, But anyway, um, Kyle, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing with us a little bit about the engineering, what you do, and things like that. So you know, I, I appreciate you joining us, definitely.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Paul. I love the show, and it, it was great to be on.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again. So everybody out there, uh, let's, uh, it's another great show in the books. And again, check us out again next Saturday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time as we talk about more things in the electrical industry with my cohort in crime, Jay Grunberg. Until next time, folks, stay safe and God bless.
1: Live with your hosts, Paul Abernathy and Jay Runberg.